Welcome back and thanks for joining us on Talking Leadership TV. We've made it to 21 episodes with a lot more on the way. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Brendan Logue. He's the Director of Talent for the Advisory Board Centre. He has 18 years of progressively more impactful experience recruiting technical, managerial, executive and now board level professionals around the world. With the Advisory Board Centre, Brendan is responsible for the growth of a community of independent advisory board professionals engaged to support CEOs, entrepreneurs, directors with a perspective beyond their four walls. Prior to joining the Advisory Board Centre, Breddon held national leadership roles in consulting and business development with leading global organisations. Brendan is a graduate of the Queensland University of Technology with a degree in human resources and he's completed certified professional development in board leadership. Finally, Brendan is the president of the most successful premier cricket club in Australia. He's a father to a young family and an avid consumer of podcasts. Brendan's preferred genres are history, trade, and its role in the spread of civilization. And of course, given these topics, all that involves people and leadership. Thank you for joining us again, but enough from me. I'll hand over to Brendan. Brendan, again, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. So let me start by saying it's lonely at the top from a CEO entrepreneur perspective, but really what's your perspective on that? Eric, thank you for the opportunity to to speak about this. It's a, it's an area I'm really passionate about. And um, in short, given the brevity of the question, I think it's important that I, I return serve with that. I think it can be, but it doesn't need to be lonely. And I think it's worth pointing out that really my perspective is as traditionally a service provider to entrepreneurs and CEOs. I haven't held the title, um, but I, I suspect that um, my aggregate level view from the past five years of supporting them at various levels of maybe corporate maturity is the appropriate explanation um, that I've got a pretty good handle on uh, what is possible uh, when when they're ready to listen, uh, I suppose. Um, to unpack that further, maybe it's worth sharing because if you lump entrepreneurs and CEOs together, you tend to get yourself in a little bit of hot water with both camps. <laughs> um, of the two cohorts, I would say that it's probably broadly accepted that entrepreneurs are perhaps more prone to the to the risk of feeling isolated because it's on their back, right? Particularly in the early days, there are fewer people around them and they tend to have, and I can hear my past colleagues from an organizational psychology background uh, sort of pointing to the fact that, yeah, it's also about their profile as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it really depends. In summary, it doesn't need to be a lonely place, but if anything, the entrepreneurs, the risk takers, you know, it's on them. And so the attributes of motivation, creativity, and curiosity tend to also go with the assumption of responsibility on them, which they're used to and comfortable with, which means they're perhaps less likely to go beyond that. I think for CEOs, if we then go to a kind of a corporatized setting, they're more like the survivor winners, right? They're able to build coalitions a little more readily and, uh, and they tend to have attributes that suggest they are both likable, but also happy to and comfortable um, in the assumption of responsibility and working through others and are more familiar with having 
more people around them, albeit maybe they're not sharing the strategic decision-making workload as well as they could, would be my caveats, if you like, Eric. No, that's that's an amazing response to that that um, that statement that is it lonely at the top more a question. Um, I am grateful for you just that you parceled out CEO and entrepreneurs because I don't lump them in the same camp for the purposes of our discussion. You've teased them out and that that's an important distinction because the entrepreneurs that I've had the opportunity to speak to are very upfront about their leadership skills and they'll either tell me they uh, worked on the craft or they paid to get the person that they needed to to have those skills in and understood the difference and some had to stumble before they realized they may not have had all the skill sets necessary and that that's a I guess part of that um, learning journey um, I, I agree with you 100% around the corporate view of this that um, it's as lonely as you want to make it because you've got people around you to help with the decision making and understanding where you need to go. It doesn't necessarily need to be a uh, single person leading the charge. However, one question I might have as a follow-up to you is sure. ultimately the CEO entrepreneur or some hybrid of the two, I've often thought founders are in that sort of hybrid space that they're the ultimate decision maker and someone has to make that call. And so a feeling of, oh, I did this on my own, I think post the decision is the, the 2020 hindsight factor coming in. But yeah. I think when, when you're charged with making the decision, it really is for you to make. And so going back to saying, oh, I was alone in making the call, I don't think is as genuine, is a disingenuine statement. Now, I'm not saying all CEOs and entrepreneurs do that, but this idea of loneliness at the top um, I think is is a real thing um, and probably the area I'd like to tease your brain on a little bit is getting help from others at level when you're trying to make decisions so that you're not feeling alone. Do you find that the more effective CEOs and entrepreneurs tend to do that or do they do something else? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a challenging one because, of, of course, it depends on the individual. And I want to make a comment before I address that one. I want to make a comment about something you shared earlier. I think the, the recognition that part of the reason that these people are in the position that they're in is they're, most, they're motivated in many cases by assumption of that responsibility. There's an inherent or maybe it's a learned um, desire to own it. And, and so this kind of goes to personality traits to an extent, but also to motivational element of that can, that assumption of responsibility can be really fulfilling when you tackle something. And so what I've observed is those who are used to being successful, develop a degree of confidence that ensures that there's some momentum behind them. And so as things scale, that there's some belief in them, whether it's, whether they're the exactly the right person for that job at that time, given their their capability and their skill set, right? And so, I think for founders that can be especially the case is this is my thing. I founded it. I've you know basically walked it up a hill, um, and so there is nobody better placed to lead it than me because it is it is the business is often. 
uh, interwoven into who that person is. <laughs> so um, to the point of, yeah, I guess how people can choose to go beyond maybe their own mind and in the, in this, in the search for other perspectives can bring others to the table. Um, I think forums, you know, so, so if you unpack it and go back historically, there's always been a mechanism for uh, the, the you know, look at Yoda, right? It's, it's the, uh, um, the, the mentoring role is one that's as old as, a, as human, human, you know, civilization, I would say. Um, but those who have seen something similar, who get the feelings are then supremely helpful because you don't need to do all the explaining as it relates to, I'm feeling this, the numbers tell me something else. How do I work my way out of it? And it's all me by the way. So I think the, the peer to peer forums have a space historically they've been beneficial. The other thing that we're seeing particularly in the advisory board space, unsurprisingly is, I need something that goes deeper and is actually tailored to my needs and deficiencies as it relates to a skill set or maybe the way that I think. Uh, and so that's a really interesting space where, yes, peers are helpful, but it's it's almost um, an AA-style conversation. <laughs> These are my issues. What are your issues? What have you seen? And you can learn from that, but it's not tailored necessarily. And for those who are time poor, I think the alternative is in a individual mentor advisor or at a higher scale in terms of capacity, an advisory board who are there as a confidence system makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it certainly does. And I think you've helped you reach a new high by uh, quoting Star Wars and uh, Yoda. So <laughs> I've, I must be doing something right. Look, Brendan, that, that makes a lot of sense um, to me. And yeah, the, that issue about being time poor and, and needing um, tailored assistance versus something that um, is not quite so tailored is is an issue. And again, uh, I, I would come back at you, I guess, with something around um, in those key strategic leadership roles that is it good enough? And and I'm just this is coming from a personal view of of leadership. Is it good enough to say I'm time poor? Shouldn't you make that time? If you're going to get better practice, you need to make that time. And saying I don't have time an hour a week or half an hour a week to get my headspace around my own thinking, um, I think is, is potentially a sign of either not great time management or being so immersed in the business that you forget that you need to spend some time on your own brain thinking about some things. Now, that's easy for someone like me to say, but I think in some circumstances it would pan out. Not in every circumstance, but I think not making time for your own headroom is a fault I think we all carry with us, whether you're in a leadership role or not. Um, mm -hmm. Your view on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a young dad, I'm <laughs> challenged by that all the time. Um with a with a I guess a growth mandate in my in my role too. So yeah, uh certainly what you've shared resonates from your own journey. Uh, I think the quality of that time is perhaps more important than necessarily uh the, the time itself. Because you know, if it's 
think the importance of exercise and the Huberman and those guys in terms of the 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 chemical composition of leaders and what makes good ones versus you know less good ones. Uh, there's all sorts of things going on as it relates to behaviors and and on all sorts of things. So there's lots going on, but I think the quality of the time and whether that is your thinking time is best done alone or in the company of others. Again, kind of there's an intersection of personality and also are you looking after yourself at a fundamentals level uh, to support that? We're a we're a, a bag of chemicals at the end of the day, so we need to we need to look after ourselves first and foremost. But um, what I've seen is for leaders who claim to be time poor, they're time poor for things that they don't value. Okay, so it's like I'm trying to make payroll next week, mate. So let's let's put things in a hierarchy in, in terms of I have responsibility for a team of 60 people. I need to win this next job. You know, the thinking time as far as strategy and where do we take this thing falls a little bit down. Now, in that situation, they're they're facing chaos and it's they're right. They actually need to prioritize the continuation of the business ahead of everything else. But in many cases, they're not helping themselves in the long term by not stepping back and saying, is that next job actually something that is going to help us in the longer term? Um, so, yeah, we've seen plenty of examples where businesses have grown poor. And so there's diminishing return when you're spreading yourself as a leader too thin. There's a diminishing return for your experience as a leader because you become less and less effective, but also for the outcomes for the business, you start to make bad decisions and um, and become a little too, yeah, you're in the tsunami. Yeah, Brendan, I, I thought when before we started the discussion, you would throw some things at me that I want to tease out some more, but we don't, I won't go into it, but particularly that thing about where you place your value, what you value and what you don't value, I think is a critical discussion. And I, I guess it's um, it's situationally dependent. So if I go back to your example, if you've got to get, win that contract to make sure you and 60 other people and their families are have an income yeah i understand you're not going to be making time for that headspace but outside of that process sure. if you're still not doing it yeah you end up doing what you're saying potential look growth is a great thing and you know you expand from that 60 people to 120 if you're still not looking after you or doing something to, to regulate your your own headspace and i would suggest yes you would start spreading yourself thin and uh, the consequences of that become a lot more dire down the track and and that i'm not talking um you know uh in terms of your mental health but definitely your ability to be as effective a leader as you possibly could be and that's what i'm talking about and um yep. look I'll, I'll i'll morph into the next uh question I, I really like this one in business and leadership it's unlikely that you're going to face something unique challenging sure but uh unique unlikely why do we default to some problems being uniquely our own? Yeah, and this is sort of allied to the first question, as you'd expect. I think part of the answer lies in the desire for the leader, maybe the founder, the CEO, to have a preference for the assumption of responsibility. So if they're taking the responsibility on themselves, they feel comfortable and confident in that situation. Um, and and so I, I think it goes back to that motivational element and and what they value, 
um, because there's meaning to be realized there as, as a leader and assuming responsibilities, there's some, there's some, you know, positive endorphins that likely come of it with it, if it's a success, but, uh, as a result, I think it's unsurprising that some leaders then tend to take too much ownership of these things themselves. You know, they figure that, well, if I just apply some brain power and a bit of, you know, elbow grease that it'll, it'll come good. But, um, the other side of that is if you're going to be tackling something for which you don't have the depth of expertise for, or if it's the first time that you're undertaking maybe a new market expansion to a market in which you're unfamiliar, um, taking time at a, at the, before you launch in terms of with whom, over what time frame. Uh, who do we? Who do you need to know? What are the pitfalls? Not from a regulatory standpoint and those you know basic things that you can find on Google, but instead, what are the cultural nuances? So the the issues of what's the best commercialization model, for instance, in in a market entry strategy, for which it, maybe it's a new market, CEO can't possibly take believe with any degree of confidence that they've got it. They, they need to think more strategically about an investment of insights from others will support them to get to step five quicker. And that's a really sound investment. And so I think the, you know, the resources that are available to them and how they organize themselves and prioritize the list of things that they're trying to tackle, because it is, you know, it's a, it's a very broad remit that a CEO or founder uh, or entrepreneur has I need to tackle a lot of things. So figuring out, well, how do I best get some smart thinkers around me who've been before me makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, can't disagree. The the that idea of um, uniqueness in uh, leadership roles when it comes to a problem or an issue. Um, I think some people, I would I would probably place myself in this category the ability for some human beings to catastrophize is, is quite a, quite a self-destructive thing. And I have to put my hand up at one of those guys. And that at some point, um, sorry, one of those human beings that does this. And I guess it takes either family or friends to check my thinking sometimes. And yeah. Really? Was it a catastrophe? The point at which I've had exposure is tends to be, I recognize that I'm limited and I need to go beyond that right yeah, and yeah, so gotcha. i yep. don't see the the stages the real lows necessarily too often um uh, <laughs> and i'm reminded of two things right what is what is tyson's old saying it's all well and good having a plan until you get punched in the face yeah. <laughs> um and, yes. and for me business leadership specifically in kind of that look at the last couple of years as an example um my to to throw Tyson and my mother-in-law in the same uh, anecdote might be interesting, <laughs> careful, but why careful. not? Um, she, she was a, a Catholic um, principal of a school and she talks about people being in bed. So the, the blame, excuse, denial element as the first and most obvious defensive mechanism for those who choose uh, that type of profession is, is fairly typical. Right, they're looking for ways to deflect from the responsibility, the assumption of those responsibility in that way. And if you think about that sector, they probably had the most um, 
challenging two years of the last 50. <laughs> uh, and and so how they came out of it was some schools really thrived and others who's maybe worked harder to turn around for whatever reason or the leaders didn't have what it ta- what it took to make that happen, that transition happen from in-person to digital mediums and everything else that goes along with it. So uh, I think what it comes down to is make a decision. It may not be the perfect decision, but understand that an imperfect decision is better than a not than a decision not made at all. As a leader, specifically as a corporate leader, you, you now appear you've you've begun to lose your tribe. People are now questioning your ability as a leader to steer them through that degree of uncertainty and complexity, because you're you're not you're not exhibiting what they believe you should as a leader and saying. I've made the best call. I might be with 80% confidence, but we just have to make a call. And I think that that ability to, to trust that you can then refine things after the fact, even if you've made the wrong call, the trust and belief in, yes, I've got the right people. And yes, you know, even if I've made the right, maybe something good will come of it <laughs> is often the case. Um, you just have to make the call. And I think that's what distinguishes good CEOs in a corporate sense from great ones, they're able to make the most after the fact, even if they made the wrong call. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, um, there's a lot there, you know, I, I can see where, where you're coming from and, um, the, you know, we, we could record another podcast around self doubt in leadership and, um, um, training for or mentoring or coaching, uh, a more confident approach to your leadership. And I'm not saying leaders come into this with, without confidence. Maybe that's not the right word, but there are times when leaders have some degree of self-doubt and that that creeps Natural. into yeah. to everybody's decision-making. I think that's where I'm coming from. And please don't get me wrong. I don't catastrophize every situation that I'm in. I'm just making the point that some of some of us tend to go there and that's probably not great, but you tend to hopefully know how to move away from that and go, right, I've got to make a decision. It may not be perfect, but I can deal with the consequences or the fallout if it's not 100% right. And there are some decisions that you make that will never have the exact outcome that you want them to have. Not all decisions come with a flowery, great um, end point. And even, mm. even if you think it's the right decision, circumstances might change on you and suddenly what the hell are we going to do? And I think COVID pointed that out in a, in a big way. We have ways of working that we thought were going to be embedded forever. And as soon as COVID hit, I think it's challenged some thinking around, well, what is, what is the standard way to work for your employees in your industry? What, what's that future going to look like? And not, not that I'm an expert in all of the outcomes of COVID obviously, but I think for me, that was an event and you use teaching and it's a great example that you either had to adapt to the situation or you didn't adapt so well. And that had some consequences at some schools Huge thrived downside. and, and, and yeah. some didn't. Um, and that's, that's a function of a lot of different things. And that's not, not a reflection at all on the teachers that had to go through this because we were all sort of dropped in the meat grinder and then how you fared from that. Um, I can't, I can't uh, attribute anything but um 
best of luck to everybody and we've just got to try and make the best of it and hopefully we come out of the side better than we were pre this uh this thing hitting us um we've talked and skirted around the following question i'm really interested to get your response to this ego and awareness of self why are these important for leaders to come to terms with yeah and this again it's almost a follow-up to the previous theme around confidence right and so confidence in an imperfect decision <laughs> requires some degree of ego right like that's just we, we're human beings we 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 are in many ways um a uh product of how we feel in many cases right so as much as the prefrontal cortex we like to think is the is the the, the ceo's mainframe there are there are other things going on as well so i think you know an awareness of how stress and or ego manifests in your ability to make sound decisions is is critical um what i've observed and and this is in in recent times for leaders that accept that they are limited in some way as it relates to the key strategic objective for their business and where they're headed is to go I've tried, it hasn't gone so well. Is there a better way? And if so, who's done it? Maybe that's the starting point for bringing others to that table, not to replace them, but instead to supplement their thinking because it's about confidence in decision-making, right? It's, it's all about confidence in decision-making if you're a leader you need some people to triangulate with and to get some perspective on. And ideally, if those people have been there and achieved it ahead of you, well, that's the perfect scenario. So long as they're willing to share and, and you're open to listen, I think the the ability to recognize that, well, really no one's enough and, and nor should we strive to be, you know, the complete picture instead. Well, uh, you know, let's, let's throw them some things and or people besides us to make us slightly more complete in our ability to make decisions. So I think the, the ego in the way manifests in behaviors that just get, you know, decisions that get put off workarounds are created uh, and maybe even unnecessarily on small things that then become big things. And, and all too often now something's broken. The fundamentals of the business are not headed in the direction you want and, it's creating conflict in some cases within the business. We see this in siloed organizations who, you know, don't talk across business units or jurisdictions. We see this in, uh, I guess, people who's, who's um, it, it tends to affect people's personal lives as well, right? Because there's something that they're uneasy about within the workplace that manifests in, in other ways elsewhere. And yeah, I, I think it's, there isn't, outlet for it provided people can say maybe i don't need to know everything but if i can instead ask better questions of people who've been there i, I could get somewhere with it yeah agreed I, I think that that particular question lent itself for me around the degree of your own self-awareness in your your leadership practice and that um that's that's a, a massive area because when 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 we discussed these questions I looked at this one in particular it screamed at me um 
uh, how good are you? Or sorry, that's not the right way to put this. It's to what deg degree degree do you apply that self-reflective practice to think about things that you've done before? And I like the ego bit because that's going to get in the way of really assessing the good, the bad, and the ugly of your decision making. And um, it's I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not for one second saying that that's an easy process, but I think from the leaders that I've met, the good, the really good ones, the really effective ones, they're the ones that can ask those questions without a moment's hesitation. And if they've done some some stuff wrong, they're quite amenable to going back and fixing their practice and they don't have a problem doing that. And I've met some leaders that would never, ever do that and never demonstrate that they've got some fallibility or some, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for, that vulnerability in in that leadership space um and it's that that particular topic's been dis discussed with me quite a lot I, I can't claim expertise in it but i know when you're talking about vulnerability it's about being open and letting your team know that you are a human being and you can make mistakes and like you said you can't be everything in the one person that's just not possible um unfortunately i think there are some leaders that think they can do that and that's to their own self detriment not because the business will suffer which is important but i don't think that's going to be good for your longer term mental health in any role um and and to suggest that um stress doesn't play a role here around awareness of self that it, these things can come and bite you down the track if you're taking on too much and it's building up some degree of um stress in your life that you're not aware of and i think you mentioned before I can't play back the tape right now, obviously, around um, the the idea of bringing the personal and the professional and how those two meld together. So if you're having some crisis at home that's got nothing to do with your work or something's happening, what? how does one affect the other and how do you try and mitigate those things from impacting your your work life? Yeah, look, that's a, you know, for me personally, that's a, that's a big one. And, and historically I had a kind of a team sport outlet, which, you know, is, is um, now uh, in my past, I would say, but for me personally, that, that opportunity to compete outside of my relationship with my wife, probably not a good idea to take that mandate on into the work, into the, the household, but also in a, in a, in a work sense, seeing everything as a zero sum, you know, I win, you lose game is, is really, um, it's not beneficial. It's not reflective of the reality. And in many ways, it's far more interesting to grow the pie than it is to, you know, have to divvy it up in a, in a zero sum sense. So uh, my competitive nature personally has fed maybe some good behaviors and attributes, but also some downside elements um, that, that I've become aware of <laughs> uh, because I've, I've needed to um, and personally. And, and I think that, you know, for, for leaders and CEOs, if they've had some degree of success for an extended period of time, and some of that has been in the fake it till you make it space and that behavior continues, Unfortunately, now it's it's fortunately or unfortunately, I, I think there's there's a 
there's a far bigger upside in terms of society to that, the lack of ability to fake it. Now, everybody has so much information available to them that you can, you can, you know, um, call BS more readily than you might have otherwise. You can't hide, you know, little half truths and those sorts of things will, will gnaw away and they'll be found out. And so I think as a leader, you know, it's, it's in, I've, I've tried and I've observed for those who I hold in high regard to as much as it's hard, you have to have the direct early conversation about something's not right because otherwise it manifests in denial, excuses, and things that just get kicked down the road, which become a bigger issue. Yeah, 100% agree, Brendan. Look, the final topic area, final question I've got here from a CEO slash entrepreneur perspective and um, answer this how how you think appropriate, obviously. How can they give back what they've learned to others facing similar issues? Yeah, and, and I think there's a... So if we go to the aggregate level in terms of, say, Australian or, or really Western demographics. We've got an aging population. Many of the business leaders, the, the cha- champions, the captains of industry are actually in their last chapter, five, 10 years maybe of their corporate leadership contribution as a CEO or a COO, CFO. That brain drain has is the potential is that 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 brain drain has a huge detrimental effect on our productivity and outcomes as a society right so so if we go at the at that level and then pull it right down to a personal level where can they put some of that intelligence and capability that they've learned the hard ways and have enough scar tissue to suggest they're worth listening to that doesn't put them in the crosshairs as it relates to personal and or professional um uh, i guess risk right and, and so uh, the 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 area in which i i operate and specialize in at the moment is advisory boards right and advisory boards if you think about the nature of them they sit somewhere between management consulting and governance boards there's a little sweet spot in the middle there when done well that can be supremely impactful if not done well they're just a talk fest. And so the what are these people seeking in the last chapter of maybe their, their professional contribution is to pay it forward and to do so in such a way that they're not on the hook as it relates to directors' responsibilities in some cases because they're, well, you know, I don't want my my wealth, my personal wealth. I don't want in the extreme case, if this business, somebody gets hurt, I can actually be held liable uh, in certain jurisdictions at an industrial manslaughter level. And so where are those risky conversations for which, how do we best grow this thing? Where do they manifest and how are they best achieved in a forward-looking action-oriented sense? We're seeing that in the advisory board space, it's a good spot for, okay, cyber risk assurance to avoid the Optus issue go to some people who've been and done successfully get a independent review with multiple perspectives and you're probably not going to get the answer that you want but the answer that you need and then that that 
cohort also have the ability to walk alongside you and step you through the capacity building necessary. If you're the CEO, you've got to go on a bit of a journey there to to build some of that greater degree of capability in your organization. So that doesn't happen to you. You don't end up on the front page of the paper or what have you. So um, that's the, that's my suggestion for those who are, I guess, thinking about what's next beyond their entrepreneurial journey or beyond their big corporate CEO brand name. What are they going to do next? What is the nature of the conversation they want to have? Is it defensive and regulatory and compliance in nature? If so, governance boards are your shtick. If it's how do we best grow this thing and how might that manifest in a creative problem-solving sense, advisory boards and maybe a combination of those two things may well be appealing to different sides of your business brain. Yeah, that's a, that's a great response. I like that idea of um, paying it forward and the idea of, of um, really drawing on the experience of the elder states people in industries, you know, people that are at the end of a career that have got so much to share with those on the come up, particularly around how do you identify issues, how do you deal with problems, what, what in their toolkit can they give to others in that leadership sense to help them out, um, to help avoid some things. Now, I'm not I'm not saying for a second and I've been, I had a different thinking on this point that you need to go through some lumps and bumps to learn for yourself. Um, no one's going to give you every tool you need to avoid a problem. And I think it's a healthy thing to make mistakes or be part of something that hasn't worked. So you know how to do it better or you know how to deal with the challenges and that change process required to shift some thinking. Um, and that's not why I think uh, the elder states people in our, in our midst are good. It's more being able to listen to battle stories, to listen to this is what I saw, this is how I reacted, how would you do it better, I did this, what would you do? Um, putting it back on those on the come up I think is important because it, learning is always a good thing and that, that idea of lifelong learning, which I subscribe to quite strongly, is, yeah, draw from wherever you can to help you be a better practitioner in whatever field of endeavor that you decide to go in. And, and particularly from a leadership space for me personally, I, I have a feeling and I'm not basing this on any research that those of us in this game, the, the leadership, uh, that leadership process, that, that system, the more effective ones are the ones that will draw on people's experiences. And that will include those that are in, that last chapter of a career to learn some things. Um, you may not agree with what you're listening to, but having the conversation, I think, is the, the bit that, that gets your grey matter kicking over. And um, I would I would suggest to you that whether it's at end of a career or mid-career or, or um, uh, speaking to someone like yourself in the space that you're working in, even starting that conversation is a good starting point to see what you actually need versus um, what you think you need. So have someone in mm -hmm. to, to tell you, look, this is the vista here. Um, you think you need this, but what you, what's really going to help you is over here. And uh, that can be a difficult conversation, but well worth having. Brendan, this has been a, a, a quite an amazing chat. Like you said before we started talking, we could have gone the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole with any one of these questions. And I think if you're open to continuing the discussion down the track, there's a lot of these areas that we can 
unpack and I would like to come back to you to keep chatting if you're up for that, mate. That sounds great, Eric. And, and you know, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. What we've skirted is is almost at the top level across a may, couple of major themes. It, it may well be uh, for you to to shape the, the agenda as far as where do you want to go deep and let's let's do that. I'd like to thank Brendan for his time today. It was a great podcast. And as a follow-up to this discussion, Brendan was good enough to have a second chat with me, which will be released on Wednesday, the 7th of June, looking at a conference that was held by the Advisory Board Centre in Brisbane in May of this year, discussing some megatrends, and we'll be unpacking some of that conference and some of the topics in our podcast later in the week. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. If you like the content, please hit the like button and or subscribe to help the channel grow. Thanks again. Have a great week. Look after yourselves, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.